there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you like shiny things, and by that I mean jewelry and especially diamonds, and you're wondering how to break into the jewelry business, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is the president and founder of Concierge Diamonds, who comes from a family of diamond experts. But before I introduce you to Dan Moran, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek inside the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring that week. And it is so easy to do. You just head over to the Time for Coffee website at Time the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my jewelry-loving Java junkies, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Dan Moran, who is president and founder of Concierge Diamonds in Los Angeles. Dan actually comes from a family of diamond experts. His parents were diamond dealers for 30 years in New York City's famous diamond district, and his great uncle was a founder of the Israeli Diamond Exchange, which is the world's largest diamond exchange, and it's also the center of Israel's diamond industry. Initially, when Dan was in school, he resisted jumping into the family business and had planned to work in biological engineering. But after he graduated, he ended up getting into serial entrepreneurship in a whole variety of industries, including computer software, online gaming, and merchant services. But eventually, the family business beckoned. And after a decade of working for other companies, Dan launched Concierge Diamonds from his kitchen table in 2012. The company has since grown to more than 10 employees with offices in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. Dan, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Thank you so much for having me. I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you, but I'm certainly happy to be here and eager to talk with anybody interested in my little unique industry. Awesome. Okay, well, let me know if, you know, the Wi-Fi cuts out and I'll be happy to repeat questions. But here we go. We're going to get into the 10 espresso shots. The first shot is what entry-level jobs, Dan, are available to young people who want to break into the diamond industry? Well, I have to tell you, it's not the easiest industry to break into. Many companies in my industry are family businesses that are handed from one generation to the next. And the reason for that is it's pretty difficult to find new people to trust when your inventory is highly valuable, highly negotiable, untraceable. It can be challenging. But for somebody who's really interested in the field, there are entry points into the industry. One of them, of course, is to work in traditional retail, which is a great way to learn the ropes of the jewelry industry by working in a store along with clients, you know, end users. Another option would be to get into the wholesale business. And there's opportunity for traders, for brokers, a lot of large international companies that work in that. And of course, there's also opportunities in bench jewelry, typically via apprenticeship. Bench jewelry, meaning the actual physical craftsmanship of making jewelry. There are often jewelers who are seeking younger talent to help them and do the more introductory and menial tasks in jewelry making. And starting there is a great way to learn the fundamentals of the actual jewelry production. So 
there are opportunities if you're eager enough. In fact, several of my employees reached out to me online asking how they could get into the industry. And as it turned out, I was hiring at the time and one thing led to another and here they are. Wow. Fantastic. Actually, you've, I think, touched on what my next question was going to be, which is you mentioned wholesale business, whether the traders Uh or brokers, where could someone look to find whether there are job openings? Well, the five largest wholesale centers in the United States in order by volume are New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Dallas, and Miami. So in those five cities, there are wholesale centers where there are a building or several buildings that are populated primarily by jewelers and diamond dealers. If you're in one of those cities, that's a great place to start. If not, there are resources online. I recommend checking out their various boards, including PriceScope and Reddit has a very active jewelry community and a number of other places. You can get some sense of you know, where things are cooking there. Find somebody whose style you're interested in, right? If you're interested in the jewelry industry, find somebody whose business sounds like what you'd love to be doing, right? Whether it's a large multinational like Tiffany or a Cartier, whether it's a boutique designer that you find very interesting, and reach out to those people and ask them what the best way is to make yourself hireable to them. You'd be amazed how often they're looking for somebody young and passionate just like you. Yeah, that is great to know. Thank you. Dan, what is a useful skill or skills, and by that I mean hard skills and soft skills, that you look for in the young people that you hire? So our industry is a really interesting combination of the creative and the analytical. So you have to have a little bit of both of those to be really successful. One thing that I look for, let's say if I'm talking about somebody who's going to be working with clients, I look for their obviously interpersonal skills and ability to form and manage relationships. And I look for their ability to multitask because we'll typically be working with, you know, 20 to 40 clients at a time per person. But I also look at analytical skills, which can be as basic as your ability to do simple arithmetic, but really quickly in your head because the numbers get complicated. Your ability to track those numbers through lots of different scenarios because clients will throw those at you. And it sounds basic, right? Basic multiplication and addition and such. We all learned it in the second grade. But can you keep up with it when the numbers are serious and when clients are hanging on your every word and you quote a wrong price and there are consequences? Basic analytical skills are staying organized, but really this industry is about people. So it's going to be more about your ability to relate to the people you're talking with than anything else. On the production side, I look for project management skills. I look for various discernment skills, in particular when it comes to diamond selection. And there are technical skills that can be taught there, but the basics of your attention to detail are going to be very, very important there. And then, of course, throughout other jobs in the industry, they're much like other industries, whether you're a bookkeeper in a diamond business or a bookkeeper anywhere else, the fundamentals of bookkeeping are about the same. So it really depends where in the industry you want to be. But if you're good with numbers and you're good with people, you're going to do well in this business. Excellent. What about someone's major? And honestly, I have no idea what the major would be, but Is there a better major to have if they haven't studied, fill in the blank? Is that a deal breaker, Dan? That's an interesting question. So I studied biology and government when I was in college, and I use neither of those degrees in my daily job. I think a background in business certainly couldn't hurt. But if you really are sure this is what you want to do, there are specialized positions of education. You can get degrees in gemology. And certainly those are very useful. The GIA, the Gemology Institute of America, offers classes at their campus in Carlsbad, California, and online. Having some background there certainly is a plus. When somebody comes to me and says, listen, 
you know, my degree is in whatever it is, English or history or whatever it happens to be, but I've also taken courses at GIA. Not only does it tell me that they're serious about working in the industry, but it tells me that they understand what's involved. And how long does it take to get a certification from the GIA? Well, they have a lot of different levels of certification from basic diamond grading courses that can be done in a few weeks, all the way up to their graduate gemologist program, which is a graduate degree. I think it's a two-year program post-college. There's a full menu, but to me as a prospective employer, having done anything is qualitatively different than having done nothing. It shows me that you've had some exposure to the industry, have some idea what to expect, and remain passionate. Great. And actually, you've almost answered my next question, which is how important it is to have a graduate degree, less so for the entry-level positions, more so for people who want to make it to the top, who want to run their own business or whatever other big kind of C-suite jobs there may be. So- Not really. There's not a particular degree. Again, I think a background in business is always going to be helpful. But most of the people who I know who are big successes in this industry didn't study it formally. Most of the training you'll have in our business is done via the more traditional apprenticeship on the job training model. When somebody new joins my team, whatever their skill level is, they'll spend some time shadowing everybody in different departments to learn about the facets of my business, but also for us to judge where their aptitudes lie. You know, I've had people who applied in one department and wound up working in another because they were just better suited for it. There's not a particular postgraduate degree that I would say ensures success, but certainly having studied gemology and having some background in that world will give you a grounding that's certainly helpful. Good to know. What about life experiences? So things outside the classroom, what in your experience, Dan, are the most useful ones for young people to have starting out in this field? I mean, I think that comes down to skill set. So it's going to be your ability to tolerate ambiguity, your ability to multitask, your ability to form, preserve, and maintain good relationships with other people, whether it's within the company, suppliers, or clients, and your ability to think on your feet and react to a very rapidly changing environment. It's going to be about what backgrounds will attest to that skill set. If you come and tell me, you know, you worked as a broker on a trading floor, I know you're used to a fast-paced environment. If you come and tell me that you have previous experience in selling expensive cars, okay, you know something about luxury goods and that kind of market. If you come to me and say, you know, my last job was food service, well, it's certainly not relevant to the jewelry business, but you know how to work with a lot of different people at the same time and balance a lot of different tasks. So there's relevance to a lot of different things. For me, it's going to be about the skills that you bring to the table more than about where you got them. Okay, understood. So Dan, what is the best part for you of being in the jewelry industry? Oh, well, there are a lot of best parts. As cheesy as it might sound, I really love the fact that I get to be involved in the happiest days of a lot of people's lives. In many cases, I'm the first person to know somebody's planning to propose. If you're coming to me shopping for a ring, I often know about it before your mother does, before your best friend does obviously before your girlfriend does. So that's very rewarding that I get to be a part of it and clients send me proposal pictures and wedding pictures and baby pictures and I really become a part of their lives. That's very rewarding. And then on a practical level, if you do well in this business, it can be lucrative and you can live a nice lifestyle, which is obviously matters. Just the money side of it. It's also an industry that still respects more work-life balance than I think a lot of other industries do. Our typical workday is 9.30 to 6 and it's relatively rare 
that you'll find me here in the office at nine or 10 o'clock at night. It's relatively rare that you'll find me in the office on the weekend. While certainly I'm doing work from home and talking with clients and checking emails and stuff, it's a business that does provide a lifestyle that lets you have a family and have other things in your life that are important to you. Like flying planes. Like flying planes, which is a big passion of mine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the flip side, and maybe it isn't even the flip side, but even in an industry like yours that is a part of the happiest day of a girlfriend's, boyfriend's, lover's life, there have to be aspects of being the big boss that sucks. So what for you is the part of your current job that sucks the most? Well, I mean, when you're running a business like mine, it's a small company and a lot of people depend on me, right? Not just myself and my family. My wife and I both work at my company. And so this company is our sole source of income to feed our children. And I feel that all the time. But it's not just that. I also have employees who count on me to pay their bills. I have suppliers who count on me to pay their bills. And I have customers who count on me to keep my promises, which involve a lot of money a lot of time. I certainly feel that pressure. It's omnipresent. You know, I can have a record month one month and the first of the month next month. Well, great. You did it once. Now you got to do it again. You're constantly under the gun. You know, you sell an engagement ring to somebody once today and that's wonderful. Tomorrow, start over. You don't get a lot of repeat business in my industry because how many people buying multiple engagement rings? You do get a fair amount of referral business, but you don't get a lot of repeat business. This is a beast that has to be fed. And the pressure to feed the beast is very, very real. And that can be very stressful. Adding to that, we play with live ammo here. What I mean is a lot of money flows through this office for relatively little of it to stick. Because you know these are expensive products. And I've made engagement rings for $2,000 and $20,000 and $200,000 and more. And when you're responsible for that amount of money that doesn't belong to you, it weighs heavily on you. You have to be ready for the pressure to perform. You have to be ready to be accountable to a lot of people. And you have to be ready to manage all of that while maintaining your sanity. And it can be challenging. Mm, I can imagine. So Dan, what is the best career advice you've ever got? Oh boy. I've had a lot of help from a lot of people throughout my career. I can certainly spit out a few cliches that stick with me that are particular to my industry and that are general. One of the things that my uncle, who was one of my mentors in this business, taught me is that it's a lot easier to reduce your cost by 1% than it is to charge your customer 1% more. That is profoundly true. There's another one that said, you know, when you're working with a client, let the client lead the conversation. And somebody phrased that to me by saying, if you let your client do all the talking, he will like everything he hears. Uh, and that's, that's, that's important to keep in mind. But more than anything else, I think the advice that I was given by a friend of mine was very impactful in my life is to say, if you're focused on the money of your business, you won't get it. You won't achieve it. Focus on your client's goals and focus on the success of your client's experience and the money will come. That is absolutely true. You'd be amazed how often I will sell a piece, I sell a stone and make a piece. And I don't really know how the numbers work out until relatively late in the game. My primary concern is making sure the client is a thousand percent happy. And when I focus that way, it tends to be the best transactions for the client and for me. Wonderful. That is all great advice. Thank you. So two final espresso shots. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or even books, Dan, do you think accurately depict your profession? You know, you'd be surprised. There's not a lot out there that's pretty accurate. I see a lot of movies that inaccurately depict my profession all the time. Every time 
I see a movie, it's usually about some kind of diamond heist, right? <laughs> Any movie about the diamond business winds up being a crime movie. And I always see somebody open up this felt pouch and pour <laughs> diamonds onto the table. And it kills me to see that because that is a great way to scratch up all your diamonds, right? A diamond is the hardest material in the world, but they will scratch each other. I can't imagine putting a bunch of diamonds into a felt bag. That's insane. <laughs> so I've seen a lot of people doing it wrong. It's hard for me to come up with one that does it right. There's an older movie called Diamond Men about on-the-road salespeople that I think was pretty interesting. There's a new movie that's coming out shortly with Adam Sandler in it. I don't remember the title of it, but I'm told that he plays a diamond broker, and I'm told that movie has some accurate aspect of its depiction of the business. But honestly, aspiring screenwriters out there, there's opportunities here because people don't get how this business works, and it's pretty fascinating. And we know who could be a consultant on that movie. Call me Hollywood. I'm here. That's right. You are. You're right there. So final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? You know, I think that people think of the diamond business and it conjures this image of a guy in a suit with a briefcase handcuffed to his hand and an earpiece in his ear getting on a private jet. And that's just not the reality of our industry, right? It's a mercantile business. It's an immediate business. It's a visceral business. But it's a people-oriented business. You know, I have long-standing relationships with suppliers and clients who I talk to almost every day. And a good jeweler, a good diamond dealer should be like a good lawyer or a good accountant or a good doctor. My job is to leverage my experience and to give my clients the best professional advice that I can to help them to spend their money efficiently and effectively. If I've done my job, then I don't have to tell my client what to buy. I've given them the tools to make that decision for themselves. Ultimately, that's a much more rewarding thing to do. Wonderful. Dan, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. This was wonderful. I'm glad I could help. If anything I said is of value to anybody listening, I'm really happy for that. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.